True to um, my custom, I guess, I have a lot of stuff in your handout. Uh, but, um, you know, it was truly, actually, truly a blessing for me uh, in, in uh, I guess, you know, me. I just picked something, and I, didn't un I don't really understand what I did. So uh, what happens is I kind of, you know, kind of, you might say, had my work cut out for me. So what I decided to do, and it was actually an offshoot out of the uh, Sunday school lessons on the creeds, um, I thought, well, hey, you know, uh, let's, let's study the sayings of Jesus, uh, the I am statements, because they invariably lead uh, to the point that Jesus is the Christ. He is truly uh, the son of the living God. So he's the second person in the Trinity, if you will. And the other thing, too, is, you know, when I first uh, came to faith, uh, you know, usually in discipleship and uh, what I was uh, told to do, if you will, is to read and learn uh, the Gospel of John. And if uh, with the men's study, Sinclair Ferguson uh, notes that the book of John, he says, peers into Jesus's mind and soul. So it's a little bit different than the three other synoptic gospels in that we're learning about who Jesus is, what, who who he is, what's his mind like, okay, if you will. Okay, not just an account of what he did, uh, but uh, with that said, uh, we often hear uh, that Jesus is called the great I am. And so, you know, these are the foundational statements of then of who we are as followers of Christ. And as I said, it was truly a blessing for me, you know, to go through all these things, uh, these sayings, these accounts, because when you do that, uh, you get a really good picture, I think, of who Jesus is and what he came to do. Um, now, if you listen to folks like Sproul, like um, on this topic, and you know, I, I confess that I didn't uh, listen to all of his podcasts on this because I didn't want to get, you might say, biased, you know, think like a, a Sprolian, but, you know, I, I decided to, you know, kind of get started from scratch. But, you know, he'll always, uh, you know, end up by saying that Jesus is not just a prophet or a teacher or all-around nice guy. He is God himself. So he differs, here's the point, and, you know, in your everyday lives and, you know, perhaps uh, in your evangelistic endeavors, uh, he differs greatly from all other religions, okay, being that he is claiming himself to be the son of God. Now, many of the reviews on the topic stick to the statements during Jesus' earthly ministry are attached to an explanation of or teaching. I'll get into this in just a little second. I'm not going to dwell too much of it on it because I want to get into, you know, each of, you know, his statements. But um, there's about seven of them. There's seven of them that most people will talk about. I, we're going to talk about eight of them, which... Um, evidently agrees with something that R.C. would say, but the objective here is to take a lighter, if you will, review of the teachings, okay? So we're gonna go through about eight of them. There's a couple of other, uh, I'll get into just very briefly some of the exceptions based on, uh, you know, the Greek, you know, you might say translation of the scripture, but anyway. Um, <clears throat> 
Mainly we find all these, as I mentioned earlier, in the Gospel of John. You really don't see any of these I am statements in any of the synoptic Gospels. And the language that's used uh, in uh, the original uh, Greek is uh, a term, two words, ego, eimi. So it's right here, ego, eimi. And that translated straight away is I am, is I am. Now, you might say, okay, that's really cool, Rick. Uh, what's, what's the big deal about that? And basically what it comes down to is there's a connection uh, between the Greek uh, New Testament, those two words, and a translation of what occurs in Exodus 3.14. So in the original, in the original Hebrew, and I'm not a linguistic expert, so please forgive me there, but in all my reading, okay, the, the Greek translation into the Septuagint from that term, and I can't even pronounce it, but it's three words, a he, azer, a he is used, meaning I am who I am. And as we all remember, that's the account where Abraham, uh, Moses, excuse me, is on the mountain, and Moses is saying, well, hey, you want me to go to Pharaoh, and you want me to do all these things, who do I say is telling me to do all this? And God says to Moses, say, I am who I am. Now, when you translate that uh, into the Greek uh, in that particular style, it's translated to those two words. So there's that connection. And so on top of that, uh, most of the people, uh, or I would say, yeah, most of the people, according to many of the scholars, will note that in the day that Jesus was on this earth, okay, people were speaking in Greek. So they used, uh, or uh, Aramaic that is, but mainly uh, they were um, speaking in Greek. So they were using these particular words, you know, from, you know, the Septuagint. And there's a long history of the Septuagint. I don't wanna get into that because that'll take me about another 10 minutes and we don't have that much time. So with that, um, uh, and, and then, of course, you know, later in Exodus uh, 3, 15, and 16, God tells Moses to use the name Yahweh, which, as we all know, is the holy name of the true God. So since there is no direct translation of Yahweh to the English language, we can only conclude, you know, that God is intending to use Yahweh as another name to describe I am who I am. So this is what God desires to be called. So there you go, there's the connection there. Okay. Um, we're gonna move uh, on, and if you go to page three in your handout, uh, you will see uh, the eight verses that I would like to kind of review with you. And they start, uh, this is all, you might say, chronologically, you know, in the book of John, in a sense, but um, I'm going to not do that necessarily, is uh, I am going to end up with um, number three before Abraham I am, which is out of John 8:58, and there's a reason for that. But, you know, in all of these statements, uh, we see, you know, the Greek, uh, ego, a me, 
okay, where Jesus starts off by saying, I am, and there's a predicate. There's something. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep, or I am the door. I am the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and the true vine, okay? But in, uh, at the end of John 8, 58, Jesus says, before Abraham, I am. So there's not necessarily a predicate there. And what a lot of scholars will say is, well, we're not going to include that, you know, into the I am statements. But I think that we, would, we really should. Because um, in that particular case, uh, you might remember Jesus is arguing you know, with the teachers of the law, the Jews, and he find, he kind of gets them into a corner where they're saying that, you know, uh, Abraham, you know, is their father. And he ends up in saying, hey, before Abraham, I am. So it's not only I was, I was there from the very beginning, dude. So uh, the other exceptions, um, you know, to uh, some of these were ego amias used, and I think it's rather, you know, just an offshoot interesting, is in John 4, 26, where Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well. Uh, and I don't understand why translators do this, but uh, she is, uh, you know, the woman is kind of saying, well, like, who are you? I mean, you must be like a prophet. And uh, I forget the exact words. So let me go back there so I get it right. But basically, Jesus says, I am he. Okay, so it's not translated, you know, I am. It's I am he. She says, I know that Messiah is coming. He is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, when you look at the Greek, the Greek is ego and me. But for some reason, translators decided to say, okay, that's not, that's not kind of what he said. He said, I, you know, I who speak to you am he. So maybe some of you scholars, if there's any out there later on, you could explain that one, because I certainly would like to know. Okay. So we go back, um, I'm using the term chronologically, I don't think that's quite right because we don't know if it's exactly chronologically, but Jesus claims in chapter 6, 35, if you look at page 3 now, uh, I am the bread of life. And let me read here. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? So Jesus fed the 5,000 wonderful, unbelievable miracle. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are not seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do? to be doing the works of God. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate, here it is, here's the object lesson. Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. You know, it's interesting that, you know, Jesus always qualifies things by saying true. He's always saying it's true. It's not just it, but this is it, okay? True. True bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. It gives life to the world. So they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. We always want to be fed. Okay, we're hungry. We want to be fed. Jesus said to them, because they're not quite understanding what Jesus is talking about, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And he goes on. So what could we say there from this whole account? Now this came after, again, feeding the 5,000. I'm on the top of page four, moving along here. 5,000 with a few loaves and fish, and he feeds the 5,000. People wanted free food. Who doesn't, right? Okay, talk to Walter. There's always people that show up for breakfast, I'm sure. That is all that they are thinking, surviving. Jesus is saying, yep, you need to eat, but I am the source of spiritual food that you need. Food is temporary, but the bread that I give is eternal. This is what you crave. And there's a little note that I have on the first page for you. I, I did break down and I spent four bucks on a, um, uh, what is it? Sean on the Amazon Kindle, uh, John uh, Penny Legion, uh, he goes through all these I am statements and actually it's quite good, but some of these ideas come from him, should you know. But some link Jesus being the manna the Israelites ate in the desert. You'll see some of that like in some writings where people, was, uh, people or scholars will actually connect Jesus being the actual manna that's coming down from heaven. But despite that, at that time, the people grumbled. The people grumbled, even though, and same here in this account, people are grumbling. Well, what does he mean? But Jesus throughout the, all this is signifying that he is God. He provides true spiritual nourishment. This is the object lesson he's trying to get, get across. The word and his body, two things. Only Jesus truly satisfies. Only Jesus satisfies our hunger. And he goes on. The next statement, uh, he is the light of the world. This is in John eight twelve. So he is... I think this is the Feast of Booths. We'll cover this in a second, which I think is a pretty interesting, you know, uh, uh, thought to have because, you know, why would he just come out and say this? But there's a reason for that. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And we know in the Gospel of John that, you know, John talks quite a bit about the light and the darkness. I mean, if uh, you folks sat 
in Paul's um, you know study of John, there's quite a bit of you know statements where you know Jesus is is the light, okay, or the light came that came into the world. But he goes on. So the Pharisees said to him, "You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true." Jesus answered, "Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true." For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. So in all of these statements, it's like, you know, these creedal statements are popping out all over the place, you know? Oh, so if you're a Jew just listening to Jesus here, you're like, okay, he's connected to, oh, this is pretty significant. He's connected to the Father. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Now I'm gonna skip over to chapter five and I want you in your mind to hold that thought because when we get to the last I am, you know, we're going to see where that whole you know, exchange is, is leading. You know, chapter eight, actually is a critical chapter uh, in directly telling the Jews that he is God himself. And like I said, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But, you know, this whole exchange about Jesus being the light is during the Feast of Tabernacles. And if uh, in my reading is correct, and people are correct, this feast, you know, there's a custom where the Jews had uh, lit torches around the te temple and there's actually a candelabra that was lit as well. So again, Jesus is using this as an object lesson. He always does that, doesn't he? Okay, there's something that happened or you know, he's going to create a miracle and he's using that as a visual cue to, um, you know, to put the icing on the cake, if you will, you know, on his teaching. So the Messiah is saying here, Jesus, uh, well, the um, custom was in doing that, that the Messiah would be a light to the Gentiles, okay, that the Messiah would be a light to the Gentiles. But Jesus is saying here, guys, I'm here. It's me, okay? Jesus is not just this light. He is the light, okay? He is the light of the world. He is the one who was to come. So Jesus not only provides, and you can make all kinds of applications here, right? Jesus is not only provides light to our darkened hearts, which he is trying to get across. When we look at um, even Peter's good confession, okay, in Matthew um, 16, 15 to 16, uh, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says to him, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And what does Jesus say? He says, you know, blessed are you, Peter, because God put that into your head. God disclosed that to you. So 
in all these things, and of course, R.C. Sproul always makes a big deal out of this, in that, you know, that it, it's only, you know, we're dead. We, we are spiritually dead. And it's only the Lord God that calls us to faith, that calls us to Jesus. <clears throat> so, in Psalm 119.105, it says here, and I think here's another connection, that your word, Jesus is the word, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And then thereafter, we, you know, we don't have time, but uh, right after this, he cures a man of blindness to prove his point, where the blind man says, you know, I don't know, guys, but I was blind, but now I see. Okay, so Jesus is, again, putting the icing on the cake. He's not just going to stop there. He's going to go right to the juggler and he's going to say, here it is, with, with a miracle. And we go on. Okay, so Jesus, in another account, we're going to skip over that. I'm on the page, uh, top of page six. He says, I am the door, or in some translations, the sheep gate. He says on the top of uh, uh, verse 1 in chapter 10. And you don't have to go flipping through your Bibles. I have all this for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, he does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way. The man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, amen, amen, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and find, go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You know, I've, I think I've heard this before, but what I thought was really cool, actually, is that shepherds often functioned as the door, okay? So just think of a sheep pen, and there's like an open gate, like now, like you would, you know, farmers would have a gate, lock it, you know, tight, and all that kind of stuff. But, but in those days, that's not the way it worked. Shepherds often function as a door to the sheep pen. When the sheep came in the fold at night, they would pass the shepherd one at a time. He would then examine them for cuts and abrasions and all that kind of stuff, and if necessary, he would treat them with oil to avoid infection. Then when the whole flock was in, he would lay himself in front of the opening of the pen. So this is what Jesus is referring to. He is the door, okay? not just some door and the shepherd walks away. He is the door, and if anybody's going to come in or out, that shepherd is right there. And I think it's not enough that he just stops there, but let me finish this up, and then we'll get into I am the good shepherd, because he's not going to leave this one alone. 
This is the picture of what Jesus does for his followers, his flock. They know his voice. He cares for them and protects them. With him laying in the door, they are safe. And he's also using this to indict the priests and teachers of the law, is it not? I mean, you know, he had a very interesting relationship, you know, with, uh, with the teachers of the law and the Jews. Um, it was a little like, uh, I don't know, it wasn't an easy row, let's put it that way. He cares for them, uh, so there's an indictment, you know, of the t uh, priests and teachers of the law. And following the wrong voice, at least this is what I thought, you know, the people at that time were following the wrong voice and Jesus saying, no, I am the right voice. And the sheep who hear my voice are going to follow me. Okay. So, you know, and this is after, you know, indicting the blind man, like, so who displaces Jesus, question mark. He is the one who decides and protects. Only Jesus calls. Only Jesus ensures our safety. Those who are true believers will only listen to Jesus. And we go on. Uh, I am the good shepherd. And we move along. Later in, it's just right after, you know, this in 1011. He continues on. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for a sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have, here's, a, here's a really good point here. And I have sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. And for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Interesting, very, you know, very poignant points here. He doesn't just say, I am a shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I'm not just any shepherd. So to Jesus, it's personal. This is a personal thing. He lays down his life for his sheep. He willingly will die for his sheep, and he has the authority <laughs> to take it up again. He knows his sheep completely. So whenever we're walking around thinking that, you know, the Lord doesn't care, no. He knows you completely. He protects the sheep. He cares. He loves. When we look at Psalm 23, there should be a connection here, and I'm sure it was back then, uh, to the listeners of what he's saying here, where it says, the Lord is my shepherd. In other words, the Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd. So Jesus, again, is making a further connection that he's not just the shepherd, he is the good shepherd. He will not abandon his sheep. He searches for his sheep and brings them into his pen. Is that true? 
I mean, we go wayward, you know, we're doing our thing. Jesus is pursuing us from eternity past. He is pursuing us. We listen to him and he sustains us and protects us from evil and the evil one. Then later on, uh, there is the account uh, where, you know, Lazarus uh, is, has died, okay? And, um, you know, Jesus now is getting closer to, you know, the, his crucifixion. And, you know, he's got, you know, the, the teachers of the law and the Jews all fired up already. So now when Jesus came, he found that Jesus had already been in a tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brothers. So <clears throat> for those who are following along, we're on the top of page seven, the top of page seven. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. <clears throat> Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the, in the resurrection on the last day. So here it is. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who, believes, who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ the son of God who is coming into the world. So basically, <laughs> Martha had the second good confession, if you will. Um, <clears throat> now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Later on in uh, 43, it says here, when he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Boy, that must have been a sight, right? Okay, so Jesus has the power not only over death, but he also had compassion. He also had compassion. And it shows that, you know, Jesus also had feelings himself. This is his, you might say, his human side you know, coming out where he wept. He empathizes with us in our misery and he is compassionate. But not only that, Jesus is indignant and angry about death. This, this isn't gonna happen. It's not going down this way. I am the, I am the Lord. 
death is gonna is gonna have the upper hand. I am gonna have the upper hand. This was not the original plan, as we know, as we read in First uh, Corinthians. It's not in a, in the whole account of creation. This was not the what God originally intended, although He knew what was to happen. Now, um, and, and I think it's interesting here, the connection between what we're going to read in Romans uh, at some point is now you die to sin and live to righteousness. So Jesus says here, whoever believes in me, though you die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. That's the resurrection. We will have everlasting life. So resurrection is reality you know, even now. And we move on, and here we're two accounts that are in uh, the upper room. Uh, the first one is where Jesus is talking to uh, the disciples, and he says here, uh, he, start, he discloses to the disciples that he's leaving, and they're troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you to go prepare a place for you. So he's going to prepare a place for these guys. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you there myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? It figures Thomas would say that, but I think we would all say that, right? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, you know, put that in your pipe and smoke it, okay? So no one comes to the Father except through me. Okay, that's kind of a, I mean, when you're talking to somebody on the street and they say, well, how do you know that Jesus is the way? Well, I didn't say it. Jesus said it. He's the one that said it. Right there, he says to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What are you going to do about that? Okay, you're going to disprove Jesus? Well, that's probably what you're going to do. You're going to say, I don't believe whatever Jesus said. Well, okay, there. There you go. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. In times of trouble or uncertainty, Jesus is telling his disciples that, the only, that only he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. He is exclusive in giving a path to God the Father. And on. Later on, uh, and here's a couple of verses that I like, because I really think that Jesus is a horticulturist. But anyway, he says here uh, in uh, chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, 
He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Well, that is the Christian life, is it not? We are not autonomous. We are to be and stay connected to the source of life, who is Jesus Christ himself. By being connected, we not only have life, but yield fruit, but not only fruit, but abundant fruit, okay? So we all know that if we're out, you know, pruning, you know, our plants or something in this, this kind of environment here, we might have um, kind of not missed one through in the trash or whatever, but quickly, if it's not connected, it's dead, right? In the same way, pruning by the Father is necessary. It might be painful, okay? When there's pruning going on, it's painful, is it not? So what the Lord is doing in our lives as we stay connected, you know, the Father is taking care of that sinful nature, our sanctification, right? It may be painful, so don't worry, in a sense. Sanctification's going on. So he's removing sin for us to be more Christ-like. The other interesting thing is, is Jesus is using this also as another analogy, if you will. Israel was always also thought to be or called the vine. So what Jesus is saying is, you know, we could talk about Israel being the vine, but, you know, I'm the true vine, all right? Again, not just the vine, he is the true vine. And then we got about five more minutes, so we're going to go to the last one here, which I think uh, R.C. Sproul really, you know, gets wound up on this one. But um, this is back in John 8, you know, 58, where, you know, he was talking about being the light. And the Jews now and Jesus are in this, you might say, heated conversation. And so it goes like this uh, in the top of uh, 48. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And just before this, Jesus was saying to them that, hey, look, you know, uh, I am, you know, my father, you know, came down, you know, I've been sent from my father and uh, I am doing what my father has told me to do. You know, what you're doing is works of Satan himself. So he's, you know, right, kind of in a sense, punching these guys right in the nose, right? And so they say here, well, the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? You know, you know, if you say you're a Samaritan, you're like from the other side of the tracks. You know, you're not a true Jew. And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Like, who do you think you are? And he says here, Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. 
If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar just like you. But I, do, but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and have you seen Abraham? In other words, you're a young guy, what do you know? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was I am. So Jesus didn't say, like, you know, I was before Abraham. I am. So he's using those two words here to say that he is God himself. He is the one. He is the Messiah. And, you know, truth be told here, um, they realize that. So the Jews realizing what he said, so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. <clears throat> so, you know, it, it kind of starts off with this whole account where, you know, Jesus is saying, you know, for them to abide in his word and the truth will set you free. And basically what they were saying, well, what is he talking about now? He's saying that, that you know, he only speaks the truth, that we are free. We're not slaves. But what Jesus is trying to point out, and I didn't really get into it right before this, but Jesus is trying to point out to them that they are slaves, that they are not free. They are slaves, and they're slaves not to uh, the Egyptians. They're not slaves to the Assyrians. They're not slaves to the Babylonians. They are slaves to sin. They are slaves to their sinful nature. And that is what he's trying all along, what he was trying to get across to the Jews, that they are slaves. They need Jesus to be free from sin. The other point here is quite simply, Jesus is like right to them is saying that he is the eternal second person of the Trinity. So not only does he have the power, he has the authority to remove sins. He has the authority to take away sin. He has the authority to forgive people for sin. He is the way to be free from your sinful nature. There was also kind of a tradition too, uh, and people make a note of this, but you know, some other commentators don't think it's you know, worth a second thought, but uh, there was a tradition evidently among Jewish teachers that God disclosed information about the Messiah when it was uh, then what is recorded in Old Testament. If you listen to Sproul, Sproul will say, well, you know, Abraham uh, knew and believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. He really didn't have to know too much else from, from God about the coming Messiah. But since uh, Abraham knew that all the, you know, there was going to be a host of, of people, you know, that were born from his seed, if you will. He, he knew that the Messiah was going to be part of that. So it says here, and I'll leave it off, you know, at, in closing from, uh, from Sproul about this context before Abraham was, I am, Christ was saying more than that he pre-existed Abraham, for he did not say before Abraham, I was. 
Instead, he was drawing from the Old Testament and God's covenant name revealed therein. As we have seen, the Greek construction behind the English translation, I am, ego, ami, is the same one used when God revealed himself to Moses. Thus, Jesus claimed for himself equality with the Father by clearly using the divine name that God revealed to Moses. Jesus identified himself as eternal deity, declaring that he was alive as the second person of the Trinity before Abraham was born. But he could speak the words, I am without sin, because he truly is the incarnate I am. Okay, with that, um, I guess if there's any questions, but um, that concludes the lesson on uh, the great I am. So anything, we got maybe one or two minutes. Thank you. Anything else? Okay, let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are uh, the great I am, that by sending your son Jesus down, you, you through his ministry, he showed uh, us that he is the I am, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that he has the power and authority to take away sin, that he has the authority to grant us everlasting life. And we thank you for that. We thank you for faith in Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.